Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. This week, I had the opportunity to be a guest on the Listen to Trends, Innovation, and Business Models podcast with Michael Neiman. This podcast is about organizational development and human-centric business models. Many companies are reactive, and trends and changes determine their daily activities. Management, in particular, is more like a fire extinguisher, which only ever takes care of the biggest fire that external changes and trends trigger. So in this podcast, I'm interviewed by Michael, and we discuss why a scholar-practitioner approach is suitable, what organizational development means for organizational leaders, and how they can manage change more effectively, and ultimately why a human-focused approach is so important in today's business models. Hello, today is my food for thought with Jonathan H. Westover. And hello, Jonathan. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Um, just to give my audience a quick uh, idea who Jonathan is, Dr. Jonathan Westover is an associate professor of organizational leadership and department chair in the Woodbury School of Business, Utah Valley University, academic director of the UVU Center of Social Impact and the UVU Sim Lab, and the faculty fellow for ethics in public life, previously the associate director in the Center for the Study of Ethics. He is also an experienced organizational development HR leadership consultant with the Human Capital Innovations LLC with experience of transforming organizations across the globe. Additionally, to give you an idea, Jonathan has published in academic journals, books in, in popular media like The Economist or The Wall Street Journal, just to mention a few. I hope, Jonathan, I summarized your impressive track record appropriately but do you add what does add something uh, no i don't need to add anything thank you so much for that kind introduction um i i think maybe the only thing i'll say which you alluded to is that i see myself as a scholar practitioner so i i play dual roles in my professional life uh, i'm a i'm mm -hmm. an academic i am a professor mm -hmm. at a university i hold leadership roles at the university but I also do consulting work with my uh, company, Human Capital Innovations. And I really feel passionately about having both roles inform the other. So as a researcher and academic, I hope that my, my research background 
will inform my consulting work. And as a consultant, I hope that I can pull that into both informing the types of questions I ask in my research, but also in how I teach my students. Uh, and hopefully it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a mutually beneficial kind of role. And I, and I feel strongly that this scholar practitioner approach is, is what students need, but it's also what organizations need. I think yes, definitely because uh, theory, the academic part is very important, and, but it's built as well, theory always on good praxis. And if you can combine both, your students will benefit from it and the um, companies you're consulting or you're working with, they are benefiting quite a lot of it. Yeah? Um, uh, and, and the Utah Valley University, um, I think they're doing this approach generally, or is it only with your, with your um, uh, section of the university there? Um, so generally, the, the university does have an anchor institution mindset, meaning that we see ourselves as a central hub of activity in our community to better and influence the surrounding community. And so a lot of students across the university do practical work or community engaged mm -hmm. work, community-based research, service learning, consulting projects, those sorts of things, so that the students gain practical experience while they're going through their university studies. They're not just sitting in a classroom and reading and listening to lectures and writing papers, but they're doing real work for real organizations to develop their skill set. Um, that's certainly uh, something that we try to do across the university, but I think particularly in the School of Business um, and in my department, organizational leadership, I, that's, that's the hallmark of what we do. Like every, every class, every professor is working with their students or trying to work with their students that way. Especially leadership means you have to practice, means uh, you can't stand in front of a big uh, audience and, and talk without practice. And uh, that's, that's de definitely something. And just consuming knowledge doesn't help, means you have to apply it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not enough. It, it's important, you know, to, to learn the theory. It's an, important to learn the methods, but then you actually have to apply it and you have to practice it. And if, if you're not practicing it, then any amount of book, book learning is not going to get you to where you want to go. You're kind of an ivory tower then, yeah? And then if you have to apply knowledge yeah, and right. then to combine it to something new, means by theory, by, as well, right. by practice. And that brings me probably to my, to my first question, because you're quite a, yeah, having quite a long history in organization development and change management. And um, one, one thing, um, most companies have uh, as well. Why do they need change? Why they need development over time? What is the, just in simple words for, for those who are not so firm and, and into this matter of, of change management and organizational development? Yeah, well, well let me um, perhaps reframe the question just a little bit. Um, I'm not so sure it's a out why do organizations need change it's it's simply the reality like change is all around us change is inevitable change is always happening so it's not it's not like we choose whether or not we're going to change we do change we're constantly changing organizations are constantly changing so the question is how are we going to respond are we going to be proactive in our approach um, to 
change management and responding to the outside pressures and the internal um, dynamics of our organization, or or are we going to simply um, be reactive? And if we're reactive, then we're missing out on opportunities to have a really strategic and sustainable approach to any of the types of shifts and adjustments that we're making. That mm-hmm. all organizations have have to make. It's just it's just it's just a fact. It's just reality. We don't get to choose not to change. Um, it, I guess we could choose that, but if we choose that, we're probably going to be out of business within a couple of years. So change is inevitable. Change is always happening. The question then becomes, how do we do it effectively? Because so many people, it's probably human nature that we just tend to be resistant to change. We like, we like the status quo. We like predictability. We like to feel like we're in control. And when things are changing around us, it can be threatening and we can start to resist. So leaders need to think through what change strategically do they want to have happen? How are they going to approach those changes? How are they going to develop buy-in from throughout the organization? How are they going to implement the change? How are they going to sustain the change? These are all the different types of pieces and elements that leaders and their people need to be considering. And challenge, the problem is that most organizations don't do it well. Most organizations, um, either because they don't have the skill set and the capabilities, or because they don't have um, the political will, the desire, the intentionality, that they don't approach change in a, in a productive way. And so then they just end up devolving into turmoil and, and having a workplace filled with strife. And that's what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to embrace positive change. We're trying to move positively and agilely into the future um, so that we can be successful and have a strong, um, healthy environment for our people. Mm, I I see that because I I know by myself, most companies love this kind of equilibrium, but an equilibrium is is a lie. It means everything is changed around you. You're part of a trend. If you really want to be active to shape future you have to do something you have to really to, to think about what will come and how you can, can change that in, in a way I want to participate on it otherwise you're just reacting and then you're kind of a play ball in, in, a, in a soccer match or a rugby game and then it's, it's not a good situation for a company definitely and, um, and, and I, would think, you say? I think that's oh if I can just respond to that real quick I think that's what the vast majority of leaders and organizations end up spending most of their time doing, regardless of what their intention is, um, they, they end up just being reactionary and, and they're just constantly trying to put out fires and they, they end up spending almost all of their time just responding to urgent emergencies rather than um, doing the, the proactive strategic work that will reduce the, the, those numbers of emergencies and fires to be put out. Um, and creating a, a more sustainable uh, time management environment so that they can reinvest into the change efforts that they're trying to, to make. Because you, you're always late when you're reacting because you were responding to something, and, but then at the same time you forget something else. And then exactly, exactly. what you described, you're just your fire extinguisher and, and putting on every fire which is coming up there. Yeah? Definitely. And if, if, if you would say what is um, the good plan for an organizational development you have pro- as, as management thing you have to plan it i guess yeah and 
what 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 we would say what what leaders need to know what 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 are your thoughts recommendations what how, what leaders should avoid doing and what how should their structure uh, organizational development yeah I, i think when i when i consider organizational development i think of what do we do to make our organizations more healthy more efficient mm -hmm. more productive um, and there's lots of different mechanisms and ways we can do that. We talk a lot about, you know, organizational culture. We talk about employee engagement, uh, talk about creativity and innovation. All of these things are byproducts of good, proactive organizational development mentality within an mm -hmm. organization. Um, and so if, if a leader wants to embrace this mindset, they want to be organizational development practitioners as part of their leadership role, they need to recognize that there's a whole range of different things that will influence the health of the organization, the efficiency, the productivity, the innovation. Um, it, it's simple things. It's, 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 it's practices, policies, procedures. It's the way that the reward system is structured. It's the way um, it's, it's the leadership example and the, the workplace example that, um, that executives and leaders um, portray for, for lower level employees. Uh, it's the types of symbols and the work, the way the workspace mm -hmm. is designed. It's, it's all of these elements and many more that I didn't just mention that, that, that create the environment in which people do their work and that will either reinforce or degrade the the type of culture that you want to have and the, and the level of engagement and innovation and all these other things um and so mm -hmm. so first and foremost a leader needs to recognize their essential role in creating and maintaining a sustainable positive organizational environment um, and they need to understand the different components they need to map out they need to think um, take a systems perspective and they need to map out how the different elements and components of their organization interact with each other uh, and interconnect and, and relate to each other. And only if they're able to take that big picture um, systems approach to their organization, will they really be able then to start pulling the levers of employee motivation, engagement, mm -hmm. productivity, and all these different elements. From there, Uh, they they need to then collect data. They need to they need to talk to their people. They need to create um, they need to create employee buy-in. They need to involve their people in the discussions and the decision making um, that will happen as you're trying to develop and maintain that positive culture, that positive structure, that positive environment. Um, and it's it's not really rocket science. It, it it's hard to do, and a lot of organizations really struggle to do it well. It, it's not rocket science. It's the scientific method. You, you, you create a, you have a problem. There's some sort of a gap. You create a hypothesis about why that problem is occurring. You then gather information, collect data, see how that supports or doesn't support your hypothesis. You then look for changes that need to be made and implemented. You create employee buy-in, you involve them in the discussion and, and, uh, and then you, you stay consistent with your effort and, and, uh, continue to work at it rather than just just a short-term approach because short-term approaches never work. Um, and so yep. if you have a long-term sustainable approach, then, then you can start to see meaningful change. It's not rocket science, but it does take a consistent commitment from leaders 
in the organization to see it come to fruition. And if they don't have that commitment, then even the best laid plans will end up reverting back to the status quo over time. They'll just, they'll, even if there's positive change in the short term, over time things will just go back to how they were. Absolutely. I think you mentioned it's a cultural thing. It's, it's about relationship, it's about people. I mean, as a leader, you have to drive things and you have to involve people within the organization, within all the stakeholders you need to make the proper decisions for the, for the future, how you want to develop. And that is, um, as you said, it's not, it's not a rocket science, but it's a, it's a stringed, planned approach. It's not a waterfall, it could be agile, whatever the, the buzzwords at the moment are in, in, in um, uh, consulting and management, but it's a constant, constant improvement process, if you like. Huh? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you, you can call it Kanban, you can call it uh, operational excellence. It all comes to the same thing. You have to mm -hmm. cope with change, with the future, with something probable or even unlikely and just deal with it and, and make the best out of it in terms of, of management decision for, for the company. You know? Yeah, and, yeah um, absolutely. And I agree completely. You have in, you involved the proper people, your team to do this change. You can't do it only in your ivory tower of, an, of management. Uh, um, and we said as well, it's, 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 it's a people-centric approach to leadership. And I think, I think there's something you, you focus in within your academic as well, your practitioner role quite, quite well. Probably you can give him some, some ideas how, how you can do a more people-centric approach within management. Because, uh, Yeah, yeah. You know, again, I think it, it comes back to really what's your paradigm in management and leadership. Uh, some people are control, they have a control paradigm. So they're, they're more of a micromanaging type of, a, of an approach. They feel like uh, it, it has to do with trust. You know, can I trust my people um, to do what needs to be done? Can I, can I empower them and delegate and will they deliver? Or do I have to oversee mm -hmm. everything they do and control them through really strict policies and practices and, and whatnot? Uh, it's, it's a fundamental kind of philosophical approach to how we um, see our people within the organization. And do we see them as a necessary evil where people are going to try to get away with whatever they can get away with and do the bare minimum? Is that how we see our employees? Or do we see our employees as bundles of capabilities and potential that if we help them unlock that potential, they will thrive and they will, they will do great things. Uh, unfortunately, kind of the traditional thinking around leadership 50 years ago, you know, was, were, it was more of a control model, right? And over time, we've realized more and more. That, <laughs> yeah. And over time, we've realized more and more that's not actually the most effective, especially if you want to drive creativity and innovation. Um, and so there has been a, a big shift but we still have plenty of leaders who they don't really know how to lead. They're probably mostly mimicking how other leaders in their life have led them. And then they, they end up being this, having this control model and it just doesn't really work. So a people centric organization, a people centric culture or a people centric approach to leadership, it recognizes the innate value of 
the people you work with. It, it, it requires you to treat them with dignity and respect and to trust them and to work towards mm -hmm. empowering them and helping them grow and develop. Uh, that is a very different mindset than seeing your people as peons, cogs in a machine, interchangeable and, and uh, dispensable people that you need to tightly control. Um, and it, the way, the way your, your overarching paradigm and philosophy, that will influence your policies, practices, and procedures within the organization. And that's what I see a lot of times is even if you have a, a, a progressive leader who has more of a people-centric attitude, a lot of the policies, practices, and procedures institutionally aren't actually people-centric. And so the leaders constantly butting their heads up against, you know, institutional norms and policies while trying to also empower their people. And that can be a problem. And that's where organizational development comes in because organizational development then says, we need to better align our policy practices and procedures with the actual type of culture that we want to have. And hopefully that would be a people centric uh, approach, a people centric mm -hmm. culture. Yeah, plus you, you have to work with the people who are on board. Means uh, if you want to change them, that takes a long time. Means you have to you know, find and come and approach with the people on board to do something good for everybody. And that's exactly what this, uh, I agree with this uh, people centric approach is. And looking back in the typical production uh, industry, that could be. If you want to mimic a kind of an algorithm, then people are only part of an algorithm, then you need this control. And so you have errors and you want to re reduce these controls. But coming more to AI and um, um, automated product processes, you need more and more companies who are innovate or designing more creative things where, which are much more uh, people-centric at all. And this production types of companies they are, they are diminished but they are getting to a very low level yeah, yeah absolutely and therefore the the whole culture uh, for for the western world changed dramatically you know? um, and let's let's see um for, for, for one, one last question if you can give leaders three tips what to do and what to avoid in, in, in change in the initiatives, what you would say? I know can even go four or five. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think, I think there's lots of pitfalls um, when trying to bring about a successful change initiative. One, a few of the things that I see consistently that people aren't doing is that they're they they're not involving. Um, key constituencies across the organization in the process. So it's not enough to have a CEO or a C-suite executive, even the whole executive team on board. They, even if they all are in agreement that something needs to happen, if they're just sending out an edict from, from their office, from the corporate office saying, this is what's gonna happen, this is how it's gonna happen, the chances of that being successful, no matter how much time or money they put into it, it goes down dramatically as compared to if they will involve key constituencies and uh, key people across the organization in the discussions, in the process of uh, designing the change initiative. So that's number one, uh, both on the good and the bad side. 
lots of organizations don't do that. And so they, they have, they struggle and their change initiatives fail. The, the organizations that do have successful change initiatives involve their people. Um, and, and, and not, not isolated chunks of people, but people across different areas of the, the organization. What I also see a lot of times is that they don't have an assessment plan or a sustainability plan for the change initiative. So how are you, how do you know if the change worked? How do you know if it's been successful? That requires metrics and that requires assessment. Um, not just a one-shot assessment, not just a, not just an employee engagement survey, though that's that's good, um, but it requires a whole systematic plan towards assessment over a period of time so that you know if you've actually accomplished what you were trying to accomplish with the change initiative. That requires a level of commitment that a lot of organizations simply don't have, <laughs> or they, they or they don't have the expertise on how to do it. So, so that often doesn't happen at all. Um, and along with that, though, comes the sustainability plan. Um, so many initiatives start out well, but they they don't come to fruition because people get bored, they lose the energy, the momentum starts to dissipate, and so. You know, change initiatives, especially the largest ones, they can take multiple years to be successful. Yep. And so even if people are energized around the change initiative for six months or even a year, if, if that's where it stops and it's not sustained momentum over a pe longer period of time, then people tend to revert back to the, to the old ways of doing things, um, the old mm -hmm. processes, procedures, practices, the old attitudes, um, all of those types of things tend to reemerge. So we have to have both an assessment plan so we know if what we're doing is working, but we also have to have a sustainability plan. How are we going to make sure that we keep people energized towards the change? How are we going to continue to build and maintain buy-in? How are we going to um, make sure that top leadership continues to prioritize the change in terms of the money, mm -hmm. the time, investment that has to go into it to be successful? I mean, honestly, if we if organizations can do those three things, um, the number of change initiatives that are successful would go would be way higher. Um, but I, I was just reading an article in the Harvard Business Review just a week or two ago, and it, it re uh, reasserted a statistic that you've I'm sure you've heard and other people have probably heard thrown around in the past. But a recent study um, in, at Harvard. Um, reinforced that about 75 to 80 percent of change initiatives fail uh, in organizations. Mm. Why do they fail? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but I think those three that I just mentioned are among the most important elements that often aren't happening. Yeah, I, I think so. Well, plus lots, lots of change initiatives are more or less done by external consultants. Uh, and the, the people inside are not really completely involved, only probably top management. And then you, you lack of support already. I mean, you need a common, common purpose, common objectives, common uh, um, uh, values you want to thrive for as a complete organization. And that can't be only the external McKinsey's, Boston consultants, whatever, who are doing this, this big strategy changes. And, um, Yeah, that, that's, one of, that's so one of the, yeah, that, and that's, that's one of the things I learned. That was a, an early lesson that I learned when I started doing consulting work. Um, there was one organization that, that I was working with, uh, and it was a substantial change initiative, 
And I'd been working with them for probably a year and a half as an external consultant. And, but, but my primary points of contact with the company were the CHRO um, and other C-suite executives. I had only minimal interactions with lower level management and leadership, let alone other, you know, other employees. And I was excited about what we were doing. It seemed like we had leadership buy-in. We were doing really positive things. And then one day it just completely imploded. The whole thing just like blew up in my face. Um, and the reason, and what, well, not the only reason, but one of the reasons was I hadn't learned that lesson yet. I hadn't learned how vital it is to get outside of the C-suite and to get talking with people at various levels in different divisions and different areas of the organization. Um, I'd taken for granted. I, I figured that because the, the executive leadership was behind it, that people at the lower levels would be behind it. And they simply weren't. Um, so that's a lesson I, I have not forgotten. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. and I hope it, it is so easy to, to follow normally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And, but I have exactly the same impression no? very often because then the, the, the C level only wants to get the external kernel close to them and you don't have the right to talk to the lower levels because they, you know, they, they fear your daily day rate is much too high to talk to, to lower in, in the hierarchy. It's, that's not good. No? It's not good because you have to work with the people who are on board. Otherwise, you can't do the yeah. change. Yeah. Jonathan, we are coming to the end of, of this. I enjoyed this uh, interview very, very much. Um, um, thank you for your time and for your thoughts. Do you want to give a, a, final, a final statement for what, what you want to go for, for, for the, the change management should do all the world the same? Uh, is, is, can, can they join you? Do you give some, some lessons in, in, in Utah University? Valley University, or uh, I will give and definitely anyway link your your um, uh, um, uh, email and your uh, website yeah. below just to get in contact with you. But just for you, chance a little last remark for the audience. Yeah, well, I appreciate the invitation. It's been a real pleasure talking with you, and I would just uh, encourage people uh, who might be interested to look me up. Um, on my company website, which you can find at innovativehumancapital.com. Mm -hmm. uh, you can see more about me and my team there. You can see the various um, services that we provide in working with organizations. Um, and really, we start with the idea that we want to maximize the human capital potential within organizations. Uh, we have a very robust podcast um, where you can listen um, to many experts talk about um, various aspects of success, successful mm -hmm. organizational leadership. Um, but we also have lots of other great resources that are free to organizational leaders to utilize. Uh, and hopefully you'll see that we can have value for you. And, and I would love to have a conversation um, with anyone who's looking for help in solving some of their most complex and perplexing organizational challenges. Okay. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you Bye. very much. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye.
Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.